I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com, a proud affiliate of the Hockey News. Well, the big news of the last day for the Pittsburgh Penguins was Kyle Dubas speaking to a group of local media yesterday afternoon to address the state of the team two weeks out of the NHL's trade deadline. The one quote that got me was in his opening statement, and I want to open the episode with it as well. He said, quote, I know my answers on the trade deadline and our strategy will leave all of you not very satisfied. If you went into yesterday expecting anything different, I'm sorry to break it to you, but you probably didn't understand what was about to happen. But no, I love that he addressed it head on. Hey, I'm not going to come out here and tell you everything that's going to happen. A lot of what I'm going to be saying is cloak and dagger. Yeah, it's it was GM speak beginning to end. He did, you know, pull the curtain back a little bit on a few things and it was definitely open with answering everything he could um you could tell his mind moves a thousand miles a minute by the way yeah but uh you know you can see that he's genuinely a breath of fresh air when it comes to even the when it comes to the good times and even the bad times of this organization um it feels like there's a steady head on the shoulders of this team in kyle dubas i appreciate Mm -hmm. the things that he said the honesty that we were excuse me given in terms of the Jake Gensel talks, the uh, possibility of the future, and the things we'll get into in terms of the plan moving forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, man, was it a war between the media and the Wi-Fi yesterday before <laughs> he got in there. There was a, there, there was some many confused faces the the wi-fi wasn't working there all day there was a lot of hot spots during the practice and then once we got into the cinder block media room it was dead zone Mm -hmm. yeah and i think everybody could have really noticed that whenever the stream started coming on for the kyle dubas press conference and it was an empty podium for about five minutes before uh, they kicked it in right before i mean in the middle of his first question so you didn't miss too much and the full presser is up on the penguins website so if you missed his opening statement which the quote i just mentioned was from it and if you missed the question leading into that first answer that popped up live uh it's also up there on penguins.com but we have plenty to talk about despite the fact that he didn't say everything that was on his mind. He did give us a couple things that we do need to discuss today. Obviously, youth is the word of the day for Kyle Dubas. He mentioned it over, I I counted, I think six or seven times. Now, some of that was media members asking again specifically about that, but, but that's because when he says something like that, it carries meaning with the oldest team in the National Hockey League, which he also referenced yesterday. He also mentioned that Eric Carlson is 100% part of the core. He didn't say that in plain words, but the fact that he continued to put him with the big three of Crosby, Malkin, and Latang throughout the entirety of the press conference, and then Rob Rossi mentioning it at the end, making sure we all had at least a full answer based on Eric Carlson as part of the core. Uh, we have to obviously address that. And then top spots for Jake Gensel. He did talk a little bit about Gensel's future in that press conference. We're going to talk about if he does indeed get traded, where the best landing spots are for that of Jake Gensel. But as we started, Dubas is shifting his plan a little bit, at least the plan that we saw from the outside looking in. Entering the season, and Dubas mentioned this yesterday, the plan was fairly simple. And this is, in layman's terms, as basic as it can get. Top six, score. 
Bottom six, don't allow goals, and that was the plan. Now, the top six hasn't delivered for a multitude of reasons for the Penguins. All four wingers have spent time on the injured reserve and missed weeks of action this season due to injury. Raquel and Riley Smith have struggled throughout the season mightily at points, and the power play just adds to that at a very extreme level. But... It seems like youth has turned into the new phase for the Penguins, apart from the bottom six being defense, and the top six being offense. Horwath. Yeah, it's it is the direction that Kyle seems to be wanting to take this team. Which, oh man, first of all, before we really dive into the details of it, <clears throat> this is something me and you have been talking about since Jim Rutherford was in power. Finally, are we getting someone to go? We're going to put an emphasis on youth, and you actually believe it. <clears throat> so. Oh, goodness. Excuse me. <clears throat> so, going forward, it looks like Kyle Dubes is going to focus on bringing in some younger players. I mean, when you have the oldest team in the league, and when your core guys, when three of the core guys are over the age of 36 already, mm-hmm. uh, if you want to add Carlson to that to that core, he's going to be 34 next season. You're gonna you're not gonna have it. You're not gonna turn all of a sudden turn into the youngest team in the league by stripping off parts. You're not. No. You're still going to have a relatively aged team. On paper, and I wrote about this this morning before we started recording. That if anything, he can find a way to make it feel younger. You can look around and go, okay, this guy is early twenties. There's a mid twenties here. There's a mid twenties there. There's an early twenties here. Maybe Braden Yeager comes up next season. There's a nineteen year old here. There's options that can be played, and it's that's going to be. It looks like it seems because he answered and alluded to the idea of adding to a youthful movement uh, over multiple questions. It was kind of brought up multiple. It was brought up during the Gensel question. And Gensel's not, you know, um, a great stallion by any means. He's still, he's 29. He'll be 30 by the time next season starts. But uh, he's not a, you know, he's not a young player. He's also not an old player. He's just right in that middle ground. And even Duba seems to be, if push comes to shove and it needs, and it comes time to getting younger, Gensel might be on that shopping block, which is interesting, but it's he, he's got to focus on youth, and that's that's something that's really going to help this team. Yeah, a lot of his answers were pertaining to the upcoming trade deadline, obviously looking for players that are on the, the young side a little bit, getting younger legs, fresher legs in the Penguins organization, kind of a breath of fresh air for the organization as a whole, a, a new feel for it, but... Also, I think we've started to see it a bit this season. I think that mind shift is not something that he's coming out yesterday and saying, this is what I'm going to do going forward. I think he started to show some examples of that throughout the season. You look early in the year, who was one of the first call-ups every single time there was an injury? It was Vinny Henestrosa. Now, he's not the oldest player in the league by any means, but he's certainly not one of the younger players in the organization. And you look at what's happened since then, who's been the player that the Penguins have called upon? Valtteri Pustinen. They've given him a long look here at the NHL level, and that is a young player. Then you look at the signing of Yesa Pugliarvi. Yes, he seems like he's a veteran because he's been in the league for so long, but he's only 25 years old. Giving him that extra year, giving him that leeway of, hey, we're going to try to not only have you for the stretch run of this season, but you're going to be part of our future and for next season, giving a younger player more opportunity. And then you can even go as recent as the waiver claim of Matt Phillips. Matt Phillips is only 25 years old. He hasn't played a lot of NHL hockey. He's a lot more you know, speed than a lot of the Penguins had in this current roster. But that's where I, I start to look at this and say, all right, let's pump the brakes a little bit with this youth movement. I definitely see why you're doing it. I think it's the right move. It's the right call, obviously, when you're the oldest team in the National Hockey League to look towards youth. But getting youth for youth's sake is not a good plan. So I think going forward, that's going to be what you have to look for is when he brings in youth, is he bringing in youth and talent? And I think that's the biggest question. Right now, his hands are tied a little bit. There's not a lot of moves that he can make to bring youth in. That's why he goes out and he gets a guy like Matt Phillips. He's banking on the upside of Matt Phillips, but I think going into the future, the one thing that I I just think that not Dubis, I think obviously he knows what he's doing, but a lot of people that are watching this and trying to project and trying to see what they want for this team, it's not just youth. It's youth and talent. And sometimes those two don't go hand in hand with Matt Phillips being the primary example. Now, he's only played in two games with the Penguins. I'm not trying to bury the kid. He has a lot of offensive upside. But eventually, you need to bring in some proven talent at the NHL level. And you can do that with younger players that are 24, 25 because the league has skewed younger over the years. Yeah, it's 
every year we talk about the league getting younger and faster, younger and faster, younger and faster. Then there's Sidney Crosby, who is trying to keep up with that and doing a really good job at that. There's Evgeny Malkin, who this season is not keeping up with it. Again, discussion for another day, but Malkin's struggling this year. Chris Letang, who's keeping up with it in his own right. Eric Carlson, keeping up with it in his own right, I guess. Uh, definitely a middle ground between Malkin and Latang in terms of staying you know, pretty good in this younger, faster league. Um, the Penguins just need more guys that can keep up. Jeff Carter can't keep up. He's the third, third oldest player in the league, and we know that that's going to be a foregone conclusion at the end of the season. He's probably gone. If he keeps playing, is up to him. It won't be here. Uh, it's just a matter of now finding those younger guys. I mean, mm-hmm. we we discuss that players like Brian Rust and Ricard Raquel and Riley Smith, how they are or could have been useful pieces to the Penguins team. Um, you know, same goes for uh, Lars Eller or... Nolachari, they are or could be useful pieces to this to this year's Penguins team. They're all over the age of 30, 30 as well. Mm. I mean, Lars Eller's sneaky old, apparently. He's going to be 35 by the time next season starts. Mm-hmm. Um, Nolachari's 32, and we ha- and the Penguins signed him for three years. Mm. Uh, and then I, I'm always stunned that Brian Rust is in his 30s. But that's just because he's, he's he has been around for way longer than we think. So... Mm-hmm. Those guys are getting up there too, and none of this is helping that big bold number of here's our average age. Mm-hmm. I know you said a couple weeks ago, can we stop talking about these guys? Is it we were we talking about Corey Perry? Can we stop talking about the Penguins and their age? Guess what? No. Now that Kyle Dubas has blatantly said it, we cannot. And yeah, I mean, I agreed with you. Like you're right. I mean, as long as the player is good, who cares about the age? Look at this Penguins roster. Well, guess what? Now we're going to care about the age. Mm. Yeah, and with that in mind, I meant mostly for this season, like of looking course. for a Zach Parise for the remainder of the year, looking for a Corey Perry potentially for the remainder of the year. Uh, that's where I was coming from with that, yes. but I understand. Like when Kyle Dubas says, "Hey, we're gonna shy towards youth," and he says it as many times as he has, that's gonna be the course of action that the Penguins take going forward. And I think that's encouraging for a lot of people. But I, I'm also gonna mention the fact that. Not every move is going to be made for a 22-year-old. Right. Not every move. Like, they could sign a 30-plus-year-old once again. The fact is, you need to fill your roster with as good of a mix as humanly possible. And I saw yesterday on NHL Network, Kevin Weeks mentioned that, you know, this idea of keeping your core to usher in a new generation of stars in your organization, it's being done right now. And it's being done by the Los Angeles Kings. Now, they had a lot more assets. They had a lot better of a prospect system than the Penguins currently do. But it's been done. They still have Drew Doughty. They still have Andre Kopitar. And they held on to Jonathan Quick all the way up until last season. And now look at them now. They're a Stanley Cup contender shortly after that. And I think that is the archetype that Kyle Dubas wants to take with this organization is, and he said it yesterday, he wants to get this team back to championship caliber with as little pain as possible between now and then. And that's what he's going to try to do. And I think the Kings are an archetype for that. But I also think that it's going to be a little bit of a longer process than, hey, we're skewing towards youth now. That's going to be every move for the next year. And by next year, they're going to be one of the youngest teams. It's not going to happen. It's going to be a little bit of a longer process. And honestly, that's the price of championships. That's the price you pay for trying to be an elite Stanley Cup contender for two decades now. And that's the price you pay for three Stanley Cup banners hanging up at PPG Paints Arena. It is. It is. It's... It's what you have to do to go. It's what you have to go through to find that success. And if anyone can find a quick turnaround, we all feel like it is Kyle Dubas. You know, a lot of people have been wondering why is he waiting so long? Why is he waiting so long? Why is he still waiting to do things? I, because what can he do to fix this season? Even whenever those conversations started of why is he waiting so long? What could he do? What could he do? Because- and he even mentioned it yesterday that he's tried to make. Uh, change of the the room trade and yeah. you just have to find a dancing partner and he hasn't been able to do that. Yeah, and not only that, but at the beginning of the season or toward the middle, let's not act like this team was dead in the water. Technically, they're still not. But the Penguins were this team of they're getting good goaltending. They have one of the best goaltending duos in the league. They have Sidney Crosby going at an MVP pace. Um, at the time, I think Eric Carlson had a couple of point streaks going. Chris Tang was you know, stepping up his game. Brian Rust was hurt, but coming back and finding good rhythm. The Penguins had pieces working for them. At 5-on-5, five five, they were clicking on all cylinders. 
Crosby and Gensel were leading the league for a good amount of time in five-on-five points. Um, the secondary was coming together defensively, which was really good. The defense was stepping in the right direction, even with Ryan Graves kind of falling off the face of the earth. And again, that goaltending was stepping up. The only issue seemed to be the power play. And at this point, it's a lost cause. It just yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. But had the Penguins had a power play that was clicking at league average, even Dubas said this yesterday, if the Penguins are had a league average power play, they're in a playoff spot. And everyone keeps saying that because that's the truth. It's the God's honest truth. If the Penguins were in the middle of the pack in power play, not even at the top of the league or just in the middle, in the middle of the pack, the league average of 20-whatever-it-is, they'd be sitting comfortably in a power in a in a playoff spot, not even worried about wild card. They'd probably be above the Flyers. Heck, at points, the Hurricanes have struggled. Probably they, The Penguins may have flirted with second to first in the Metro with a league average power play. Mm-hmm. So that's why Kyle Dubas wasn't making a move, because this team has shown signs that they can do it. Just not anymore. <laughs> Yeah, and as far as this season is concerned, Dubas did mention that he's he's hoping that they can find the consistency. He's hoping that they can get into a playoff spot. But he said, quote, when we're at our best, we've shown we can play with anybody. It just hasn't happened enough. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what you just alluded to. The consistency is the biggest issue. At their best, the Penguins are a team that deserves to be in the hunt for the playoffs, that deserves to be probably in a playoff spot. But at their worst... They're a team that deserves to be in the top 10 of the NHL draft, which is where they're sitting at the moment. So, a couple of heartbreaking you know, losses don't help either. I mean, yeah, one goal losses. And the, <clears throat> they're tough. I mean, sure, sometimes you look at the pity point and go, okay, something, a building block, something to go from. Not when it's the New York Islanders and they are a team in the same position as you. And not only, not only did you only get one pity point, you surrendered the second one to them and they advanced. So. Hmm. That's if you were to do that against LA, maybe it's a different story. But you did it against the Islanders. They did it against LA. They just didn't get the pity point. That's but, what I'm saying. Um, yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I know. What you, I know what you're alluding to. But also, like, you look at what the Penguins did in that game. I think that that's you know when you go down four to two, I counted them out personally. So and I, I did. They shoved it up my hoop. That's fine. They came back. They tied the game. They took all the momentum, and then. Overtime happened, which overtime, let's face it, is not the Penguins' strong suit. And I think that is taking it and saying it lightly. But um, the Penguins, they just need to collect points. And at this point, when you're going up against Metropolitan Division teams, I believe they have 15 games left against the Metro. You need to win those games more than anything. And you need to get a clean two points. Like, you haven't afforded yourself the ability to say, all right, well, we got two in overtime, but hey, we still got two. Or, well, we got the pity point. We're going to continue to build off of that. At the point of... Where we're at now in this season, they need clean two points against Metropolitan Division teams. Um, it was nice that they bounced back and got that pity point on Tuesday, but at the same time, you're running out of time to to be able to say that, hey, that's a positive and not an overwhelming negative, which it still is at this point of the season because you're far out and you haven't shown consistency in the ability to stack wins together. But the other thing that I found interesting, and you highlighted it and said you wanted to talk about it a little bit here, is... He said he's still fielding calls on a, quote, litany of Penguins players. He's getting a lot of calls from outside GMs, and obviously we all heard what Pierre Lebrun said on Insider Trading on Tuesday night. Horwat, this team is not a fire sale, I don't believe, I think based on Dubas's comments yesterday, and I also don't think that they're in position to buy based on what he said yesterday. It seems like they're just going to be looking for a good trade that's going to help them in the future, and... Honestly, that's probably the best thing Penguins fans can hope for because a fire sale is not going to happen anytime soon because, as he mentioned, it's kind of hard to tank whenever Sidney Crosby is as good as he is. It is. It's hard to tank when Sidney Crosby is doing this. Um, and it was good that, you know, Dubas kind of did address the, the Pierre LeBron statement pretty head on and say, I have been receiving calls. Yes, I've you know, mm-hmm. been getting calls from teams around the league. And he kind of turned it into a way to look at the team positively and say, that's be- but that's because these guys, these certain players that I'm getting calls on, didn't name names, obviously, but because these guys are good players. They're valuable players. Um, they are players that other teams might want to take a look at. And with the Penguins continuously not in a playoff spot, more GMs are going to call. Hey, you know, you're not going anywhere this year, it seems. Do you want to hear an offer for player X. Do you want to hear an offer for player Y? And then just mm-hmm. the list kind of grows of who, of just the names that 
uh, Kyle Dubas could be receiving. So Dubas did also say he's not going to sacrifice draft capital. So that essentially mm-hmm. eliminates buying because... At least buying at a hefty amount. Yeah, because you're not going to deal out... <laughs> You know, some of your top, you don't have many top prospects to deal out and all of which you want to keep. In fact, I think Dubas mentioned Jaeger, Pickering, and Poulin by name. Mm-hmm. So they're staying. Um, you're not going to be buying by selling off an Isaac Belovo who's playing in the ECHL right now. Looking good in the ECHL, but... The what, ECHL nonetheless. Where, <laughs> where coaches' sons are imitating the blind in front of referees and mm-hmm. other guys are throwing... UFC elbows. I it's the Wild West. It's a ton of fun. The Wheeling Nailers are a fun team this year. I digress. But he Kyle Dubas isn't going to be buying this year. So there's that. Mm. And you know, if and what LeBron said wasn't wrong because Dubas said, "Yeah, I'm getting calls on a lot of people. I'm listen and he, Dubas is doing his job and listening to what those calls are." So mm-hmm. we'll see where that takes this team mm-hmm. and According to LeBron, anyone not named Crosby, Malkin, Latank, you could throw Carlson in there. Mm-hmm. Could be on that block. Yeah, and Kyle Dubas mentioned it multiple times yesterday. Putting Eric Carlson in with the big three of Malkin, Crosby, and Latang. We'll talk about that because it seems like he's not going anywhere. A lot of people have said maybe you you pull the plug on this experiment quickly to try to open up cap space. Maybe his disappointing season is too much to bear going forward. None of that is true. It seems like Kyle Dubas is sticking with his guns, and he should after trading away a first-round pick and multiple pieces that, yes, we all agree, a lot of those were negative pieces, a lot of those were negative assets, but trading away a first-round pick nonetheless, sacrificing part of the future for Eric Carlson, seems like he's going to be part of the plan going forward, and we'll discuss just why and why he's had a little bit of a down season right after this break. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you as always by Inside the Penguins, now a featured website on NHL Network, I guess. That was a, a cool little a cool little thing to see uh, yesterday, but um, nice to be recognized a little bit for you, Horwat, I'm sure. Um, but it's part of that was talking about a fire sale and the potential of the Penguins going out and being sellers at the NHL's trade deadline based on a report by TSN's Pierre Lebrun, who mentioned that the Penguins are fielding calls and listening on everybody except, and Lebrun made sure to emphasize this, the quote, core guys of the Penguins. Now, I talked yesterday on Iceberg to go about who that could mean, and obviously Sidney Crosby, Chris Letang, and Evgeny Malkin have been that since 2007. But I also mentioned maybe a Marcus Pedersen gets thrown in that because he is your best defensive defenseman. Maybe a Brian Rust gets thrown into there. Tristan Jari might get thrown into there after the season he's had. Maybe a Jake Gensel, if if he's not in the situation he's in, is included in that. But because of his contract situation, he probably gets taken out of that grouping. The other name that I haven't mentioned so far in this segment is Eric Carlson. And after yesterday, I think it's pretty definitive. Eric Carlson is not going anywhere. Often included when Dubas referenced the Penguins' big three and Rob Rossi, like I mentioned at the top of the show, ensured that we got more on this with his final question. Seems like Kyle Dubas is firmly in the camp of Eric Carlson is in fact part of the core. He has three more seasons left on his current deal with a full no-movement clause. 
certainly has struggled at points to find his footing with Pittsburgh, and he's only on pace for 60 points, which I think is under what all of us had expected coming into the season. But I, I think the biggest thing in, in this is he's not going anywhere, and the Penguins are going to hope that he's going to find his game and start to elevate his game as time goes on with the Penguins. Yeah, it's he's a future Hall of Famer, three-time Norris Trophy winner. He has the pedigree of someone who can still turn it on, and we defended him last episode, probably the episode before that too, uh, in terms of he's doing good things with this team. I know you talked about him in your to-go yesterday. There are definite positives that can come from Carlson. He's going to be a key piece. I mean, <laughs> Elliot Freeman wrote in his 32 Thoughts article yesterday that <laughs> he, he's just trying to manifest Carlson returning to Ottawa, which, yeah. hilarious. Just mind-musing, that's all. And you know what? Good. You know what? Go for it. I'm. Th- those are fun things to sort of discuss and talk about, but... Mm-hmm. Um, just highly unlikely. It doesn't seem like Kyle's going to want to move on from uh, Eric Carlson this easily, this quickly. And also, it'll be a hard move to do, period. Does, would Eric Carlson even be okay with that? He's got a full no-move clause. Is that an mm-hmm. option he'd be willing to make? And also, who do the Penguins want in return from Ottawa? Who knows? The, that's that's exactly what I'm looking up right now. Because we do know, because of the Jacob Chikrin situation, that they are struggling right now to make a decision on their blue line because they're going to have to sign Chikrin to a longer-term extension. They have Shabbat at $8 million. But there's a lot of young players on that team that would be interesting and would help the Penguins going into the future. Don't talk me into it. That's not what we're here to talk about. <laughs> oh, no. It's it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But, I'm, I mean, I'm looking at Shane Pinto. I'm looking maybe Chickren comes back, money in, money out at that point. Eh, there's a lot of interesting names there. There's a lot of – Josh Norris is a very expensive player that would not be included in that. But uh, <laughs> I, I do like Josh Norris a lot. But, no, there's a lot of players on it. Ottawa. You could talk me into it, but uh, it's not you happening. Could. It's, it's a, not. That's the point of this, this yes. segment is it's not happening. Correct. It is a very interesting topic that – it was fun to discuss, but not to take seriously yeah. until Elliot turns his uh, mind massaging into a, uh, hold on, I'm hearing things. But for now, <laughs> Eric Carlson will stay under under the regime of Kyle Dubas, and honestly, for the better. Like like we mentioned on multiple occasions, now a down season offensively from Eric Carlson is the is the best numbers the Penguins have seen in ages. So this he's a he's a guy worth keeping around so long as he can fight off father time we mentioned age a lot in the last segment here um before you know it eric carlson will be on that 35 plus uh situation so you got to get the good stuff out of him quickly mm-hmm. um this year might be a lost cause in terms of finding great production you'll probably still get something good you're probably still get a nice little uh yeah. number at the end of the year um but next year is when you got to turn it on you got to hope Cindy crosby can stay at his level and then, what then? Because, uh, I mean, Crystal Tang will probably still be fine. And then, <laughs> who knows what's going on with Malkin. And then that's when you build for the youth. Yeah, and when I look at Eric Carlson, you mentioned maybe you get something good out of him the remainder of the season as I do some quick math. Mm-hmm. Um, I think part of that is who he's playing with now. He's playing with Marcus Pedersen. They mm-hmm. made that change, and yes, in the first game, Couple bad defensive plays by both of them directly leading to goals, but also Marcus Pedersen scored a goal. I thought Eric Carlson which was much more evident in the offensive zone, and you look at the numbers when Carlson has been with Pedersen versus when he's been with Ryan Graves, and I'm looking up the actual number here as far as how many, like 45% of the season he spent with Ryan Graves. Jeez, I didn't realize it was that much. Yeah, 303 minutes with Ryan Graves, 458 with Marcus Pedersen, I, I have to do math again really quickly after I make this point because I don't know if it's 45, but it's around 40% of the season that he spent playing alongside Ryan Graves. And you look at how much lower his numbers are with Graves, a player that I think we can all agree just doesn't mesh with Eric Carlson, and yet they continued to try and try and try to make that work for the sake of the fact that Graves wasn't doing really well with Chris Letang either, and you paid this guy $27 million just about eight months ago. Mm-hmm. You have to try to make him work some way, shape, or form. But with Ryan Graves on the ice, with Eric Carlson, the Penguins score 0.9 goals per 60 minutes. With Carlson and Pedersen, it's 3.5 goals per 60 minutes. That is a ridiculous number. And that tells you why when 40% of the season is with Ryan Graves, why his numbers, Eric Carlson's, mind you, 
are skewing towards a lower percentage. 60 points is low for Eric Carlson. It's a 50 or 40 point drop from what he had last season. But as I said yesterday, would still be the fifth highest scoring season by a defenseman in the Sidney Crosby era, which is kind of crazy to mention. But, and then you look at the goals allowed and you say, well, yes, but how much better is his defense with Marcus Pedersen? It does go down a little bit because Eric Carlson plays a little bit more of a high-flying, less care in the world brand of hockey when he's playing with Marcus Pedersen. It goes from 1.78 goals allowed per 60 with Ryan Graves to 1.96. So it takes a little minuscule jump in defensive goals allowed, but it's a massive Massive jump in goals per 60 minutes, which has been the biggest issue for this Penguins team, which is creating offense. Yeah, it's... Remember at the beginning of the season, too, there was a couple of little notes of, hey, Eric Carlson's kind of decent defensively, even. Now, I think <laughs> I think uh, the Penguins have told him to kind of not worry about that and just play your game. Um, but there were moments where even his deep defensive game was stepping up and, you know, was noticeable at very many times. Again, they... <laughs> And he got walked a couple of times last uh, last game, and mm-hmm. at one point, someone leaned over to me and said, "Does he now lose his 800th point because of how bad he's been since?" <laughs> um, I mean, it's he's a he's an adventure, and I think we all knew that going in, and we are all now experiencing it. But it's he's those numbers don't lie; those are underlying numbers that I can understand. That's a big one compared to a little <laughs> I was about one. To say, it's not They're even. Muted. Yeah, I was about to say it's not even underlying. It's it's goals and goals against. Yeah. Like that's it's blatant in front of you and all I did was was make it per 60 minutes so it's easier to digest than saying, you know, in 303 minutes Graves and Carlson were outscored 9 to 5. In 458 minutes with Graves and Pedersen, they outscored opponents 27 to 15. Like when you go minute by minute per 60 minutes, it is over two goals better. Per 60 minutes. It's ridiculous how much better Carlson is offensively with Marcus Pedersen. And all of this is at five on five per natural stat trick. That's where the other thing comes into play, which is the power play. Now, here's the thing with the power play. I don't think Eric Carlson has looked particularly threatening at any point during the season on the man advantage. He's made a couple of nice plays, a couple of beautiful passing plays to Sidney Crosby where he's redirected the puck into the net. But I think the problem is the way that they are having him approach this the way that they are having Evgeny Malkin approach this power play, they're not threatening regardless. So Eric Carlson, with his blue line tiptoeing acts, are not going anywhere towards looking threatening on the power play. He's not in shooting motion. He's standing straight up on the blue line, just looking left and looking right. Am I going to give it to Malkin, who's going to give it back to me, or am I going to give it to whoever's on the left flank on this given day, who's going (laughs) to give it back to me? And we're just going to keep doing that. You have to fix the power play. I think that is a much bigger issue than Eric Carlson, but I think at five on five, having him with a good partner, you've seen the production, you've seen the Eric Carlson that was expected. The question now becomes, can you find a solid partner for Eric Carlson? And if it is Pedersen, then you have to find one for Chris Letang because Ryan Graves, he's just not getting the job done in any 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 phase of the game. So you have to also think of this too. This is Eric Carlson's 16th season in the NHL. Mm-hmm. He's been a plus player, not counting this one yet, for five of them. He's been a minus. He's played on bad teams. Mm-hmm. Played on some bad teams, but also has, but at the same time has been just one of the best offensive producers on the blue line mm-hmm. of this generation. Yeah. He's a plus eight this year. <laughs> yeah. He knows how to produce offense. We're mm-hmm. getting one of his very few, one of his very rare uh, plus minus plus seasons. Again, I get that stat is nonsense. His career is a minus 95. I want to throw that one out there. Remember, he's a plus yeah. eight this year, so it was worse when he got here. It was over 100, under 100. However, however you want to look at however minus. You want to say it. Yeah. Uh, it was at a mi- around minus 100 when he got here, and now it is moving in the right direction. Now it'll take a lot of work to get it to a positive on the career, but that and that's not going to happen. Yeah. But... We're getting net positive work out of Eric Carlson, if that, mm-hmm. if it means anything. Yeah. You got to remember, plus minuses don't count on power plays anyway. So, you're getting good 5-on-5 five five production out of him. It's, you're getting, you're getting it. You're getting it. It's just a matter of finding the click. Yeah. 
And, and he'll be here to do it. And I think what's going to be really interesting is if they keep him and Pedersen together the rest of the season, what that looks like. Because remember, he also had Pedersen when he was trying to learn the entire process of the Penguins organization. He was trying to learn the way that Mike Sullivan wants him to play, the way that the Penguins organization wants him to play while meshing with Marcus Pedersen. Now that he's acclimated to the Penguins organization, acclimated to the way that they are asking him to play... And with Marcus Pedersen, I'm intrigued to see what he does the last 29 games of this season if they afford him the opportunity to play with Pedersen for the remainder of this year. And they should, because at this point, what does the team have to lose? I mean, I mean, I don't know. you have you you could you're not out of the playoffs yet mathematically. There's still hope you can turn this thing around. I think most people's expectations are that they will miss the playoffs, and if it gets worse, then you already have that first rounder protected, and you get a more higher percent chance of Macklin Celebrini, which right now five percent, five percent chance at Macklin. That would be a that would be a nice young addition from the Boston University product. It would be. Yeah, that's someone that you know Mike <laughs> Sullivan's gonna like. Yeah, you know Mike Sullivan would absolutely love it. But we're going to take one last quick break. When we return, what are the top spots for Jake Gensel if he is indeed on the trade market? We'll talk about that after this one. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. Kyle Dubas yesterday is keeping his plans pretty close to the vest right now. He did, like you said, pull the curtain back just a little bit, but for the most part, he's going to keep his thoughts to himself, keep the plan for the Penguins in the short and long term to himself as he tries to enact it over the next couple of months and couple of years with that long-term contract that he has. But it's clear that the Penguins would like to extend Gensel. I think that much is obvious. They would like to have him back on the roster if it comes at the right price. If you can get him on a good deal that works for him and works for the organization, it's always good to have a 40-goal scorer on the roster. But the possibility of him being dealt is still very, very real. A part of some of the other things we've already mentioned from his press conference yesterday, he did say and reference the Jake Gensel rumors and saying basically how the team performs in the next two weeks could determine the short-term answers for this organization, where they would go. And that obviously includes Jake Gensel and whether or not he'd be traded. But I think we can all agree that this is much more complex than if they win in the next two weeks, they're keeping them. If they lose, they're going to trade them. It comes down to his contract. It comes down to what other teams are offering them because sometimes it doesn't happen often, but sometimes a team is so desperate to win that Stanley Cup, they make you an offer you can't refuse. And Jim Rutherford is somebody that does that. We'll talk about him in a little bit. But I think looking at the outside, the fact of the matter is, it still could go either way with Jake Gensel. And from my, from everything I've read, from listening to Dubas, from listening to, to Mike Sullivan talk about you know, Jake Gensel, it feels really 50-50 at this point, which is startling to say for a team with a high-valued pending UFA and a very small chance to make the postseason. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's he is one of those guys that if, if Kyle Dubas is set on building for the future, he's... Jake Gensel is someone that you can and would probably want to keep around. Gotta remember that Kyle Dubas has that focus on youth and and answer and threw the youth into the answer when asked when asked about Jake Gensel. So that makes that a bit questionable too. I mean, doesn't that make you feel old? Oh, that's we're talking be. about Jake Gensel as an old player in the National Hockey League now. Like yeah. that made me feel old. I was like, this is still the, he. I mean, it doesn't help that he still can't grow facial hair. He still looks like he did in 2017, but it made me feel old. It's like I said about Brian Rust. I still can't get over the fact that he's in his 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with Jake Gensel, he'll he'll be 30 when next season starts. And because now this is not saying no. This probably isn't saying that Jake Gensel is an old player in this league. He's not. He's still really good. He's still young enough to perform at a high level and at an elite level. But you know this is about that time where NHL players look for that cash-in deal. Jake Gensel has a cup ring already. He probably wants another for sure. But cups aren't guaranteed, and that money and that contract can be. So at this point, about to turn 30, you're going to hunt down that six, maybe seven-year deal. 
Mm. Maybe. He could definitely earn $10 million bucks on the open market. Let's put that out there. Mm. He's going to get paid one way or the other. It's a matter of length of contract. He could earn... He could get the the old 10 by 7 or 7 by 10 whatever the way goes. He could earn seven, $70 million with his next deal like that if he really wanted to. Mm. Whoever's going to plan to give it to him is up in the air. The Penguins... I, and We love Jake Gensel, me and you. We love having him on the team. We like seeing what he can do. I don't think I'd want to sign Gensel for seven years. I just don't think that's in the cards. I don't think that's a decent enough plan. Not for $10 million. I, that's well, for, for sure. that, be, that becomes a tough, like you can always structure it where you have a full no move clause for the, the first four years. And then you have a modified or no, no move clause at the end of it. And I understand that that becomes a very big portion of the, the conversation when it comes to the agent and the general manager talking, but you know, seven years getting him at the age of 37 with no Crosby, no Malk and no Latang on this team and probably a very young team around him. I don't know how enticing that is. I know, it's not too enticing for me personally, but I don't think that's very enticing for many people looking at the Penguin situation right now. Correct. And whenever I say I, I wouldn't personally bring Gensel on for seven years because he, you genuinely don't know what you're going to get out of a player once they surpass that 33, 34, 35 you know, mm-hmm. age barrier, that age gap. Um, I mean, and that goes with every player in the league. Sidney Crosby, it goes with him too. We're getting great production out of him at the age of 36, but genuinely next season, we don't know if it'll be here. We kept talking about that mm-hmm. with Malkin and Latang whenever they were having their discussions of their new contracts, and we're seeing it with Malkin mm-hmm. right now. I mean, he's not the same player anymore, and it's pretty obvious. Chris Latang's holding up his end of the bargain, and that's great. When it comes to Eric Carlson in the next couple of years, we're going to have to have that discussion every year of what exactly can he bring this year? He is now this much older. Um, with Jake Gensel, I feel like it would be the same thing. It's, hey, we're, he's turning in years down the line if the Penguins were to re-sign him. All right, he's turning 34 this year. Right, he's turning 35 this year. What can we genuinely expect? And that mm-hmm. expectation is going to continue to dip. Um, And that's just the harsh reality of being 30 years old in the league. And mm-hmm. in a league that's getting younger and faster, I know this might be the wrong take, but when it comes down to it, it just might be time to move on from Jake Gensel. Yeah, and I've said it, you know, hard and fast that you don't trade 40 goal scores and expect to get better. The other thing that you have to look into it is how much longer is he going to have the capability of being a 40 goal scorer in the National Hockey League? Boom. He wasn't there this year. And yeah. the longer time goes on, the harder it's going to be for him to reach that mark, especially with his age and with the age of his center right now in Sidney Crosby, which, yes, we all agree. He is a, a Greek god that seemingly doesn't age, and, and Dubas threw a little joke in there yesterday about it. But, you know, eventually, father time gets everybody. Look at Alex Ovechkin this year. Yeah, he scored, I think, eight goals in nine games or something like that. Crazy run that he's on, but it took him 50 games to get going this year. The greatest goal scorer of all time. Age is starting to get to him. So uh, eventually it comes for everybody. I don't know what the answer is. Like I said, I feel like it's 50-50 right now and nobody wants to hear that. And that's a poor take on my part, but I understand that. But I just, I, I don't know how it's going to play out in the next two weeks. And part of that is, you know, Ben Hankinson and Kyle Dubas and what their discussions look like over the next 14 days. But if they and do decide to put him on the market and if they and do decide to trade him at the NHL's trade deadline on March 8th, with, what would be the best fit? For him and the Penguins, our you know colleague Jacob Puntori put a nice story on InsideThePenguins.com where he named three teams, the Colorado Avalanche, the Edmonton Oilers, and the Los Angeles Kings. I would put two other teams in there, the Vancouver Canucks, although they did just spend a lot of assets to bring in Lindholm from Calgary. They still could be somebody that goes out there and tries to make a hockey trade to bring in a guy like Jake Gensel to improve their chances at a Stanley Cup this year. And I'll throw in the Vegas Golden Knights too. They never sit still around the NHL trade deadline, and Mark Stone just got injured and is expected to miss some time. If anybody can play the LTIR game, it's the Vegas Golden Knights, so I wouldn't rule them out either. So when looking at those five teams, Horwat, what do you think would be the best fit for Jake Gensel going forward? Um, Because he's looking for a contract probably straight out of, um, straight out of a trade as well. Hmm. Potentially, yeah. Uh... I'd have to go with a team that's really looking into it, and I like the LA Kings as an option. Mm-hmm. Um, like you mentioned, like we mentioned before, they're a team that has, you know, those, um, those whatever we talked about before, how they have that veteran group, but also mm-hmm. the young core that's really 
bringing them forward and can you know, really solidify them into something serious. I mean, they figure out goaltending. Had they figured out goaltending a while ago, that poor streak they're on probably wouldn't have happened. Um, yeah, they're a really good team. I think their their explosion or, or like their rise to this prominence was a little bit quicker than expected. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I thought they could have been a real deal last year. You know, this year, I didn't. I, don't, I didn't know what to expect, but. They brought it to start the year, and they're fading a bit, but are probably still going to be a playoff team. Don't know about a cup contender, but add Jake Gensel, you just never know. Yeah, yeah, and this is a team that also, something you have to keep an eye on with the LA Kings, lost Victor Arvidsson the other day to injury. Uh, We don't know the extent of that, but if he's out for a long extended period of time, maybe they are in the market for a winger because, like you mentioned, they're a team that right now, it's their time. They need a goaltender, and that's probably top of the mind, but adding some scoring is never a bad thing, especially when you're going to have to go into a couple games that might turn into shootouts. I mean, the Edmonton Oilers like to win games by a score of 6-5. to The Vancouver Canucks love to win games by a score of 7-6. to So you might need to have scoring in spades, and the LA Kings have a lot of talent. They have a lot of really talented players, but sometimes the playoff performers like Jake Gensel, they go for a lot of money for a team that thinks that they are just a, a millimeter away from being one of the favorites. Mm-hmm. And that's where the Kings stand as of right now. I mean, Colorado can go into that boat as well. We mentioned Edmonton, who has been looking for a forward to help McDavid and Dreisaitl for seemingly their entire careers. The one thing about them, and you mentioned this to me off air, is they're not going to be able to afford to sign them. Um, but they'll be able to try to trade for them, maybe. Yeah. Um, but that also is another thing that goes into this. Is a team or a potential suitor looking to say, hey, we just need them as a rental. We're not going to be able to really sign them. We might try to handle that down the road, but we really want him for the next 30 games and the playoffs. Or is there a team that's like, hey, we think that we could sign him to a deal. And does Dubas allow this to happen where they can start to talk a little bit with Ben Hankinson about the framework and what that would look like for a potential sign and trade? Yeah, and also the, the, there's the potential sign and trade, which is the likely and the easy option in my head mm-hmm. uh, to kind of get Gensel kicking and onto a team. Uh, if you ask Frank Saravalli, though, don't be shocked, and it wouldn't be surprising to see uh, a third-party team get involved. A third mm-hmm. team get involved to maybe recoup some salary, maybe also take another player one way or the other. Um, could be a big three-team trade moving on here with Jake Gensel. Uh, mm-hmm. that, now, that wouldn't that would only affect this year again because... His contract comes up. The, because it has nothing to do with the new contract, but it's still a possibility. Like, that's, that's something that Edmonton would have to do. Mm-hmm. essentially because they every dollar they bring in they need to send out they are pennies away from the cap ceiling so mm-hmm. they got to figure if it's Edmonton that's the destination they'd have to figure out a third team to bring in mm-hmm. whereas the Kings could probably get it done I don't know their cap situation right now but they could probably get it done just a one team just back and forth boom boom here are the players here are the draft picks going one way or the other um, and likely able to give them that extension into the next seasons, into the future, because, I mean, I'm trying to pull up their thing as quick as possible to see who's coming off the books. Yeah, the Kings are right now up against the cap, and they already have three players on LTIR. Um, Quite a few RFAs to sign at the end of the year, too. But if you include Victor Arvidsson on LTIR, there is a way, a framework for this to work, because Victor Arvidsson's cap number is 4.25 I think the most intriguing team to me is still the Vancouver Canucks mm-hmm. obviously there is the the connections they are basically Penguins West at this point with Tockett and Rutherford and Bluger and Ian Cole and Casey to Smith and I probably missed one Sam Lafferty's out there as well so adding Jake Gensel to that a player that has had success with a lot of those players in the past I think makes a lot of sense. And I also think there's a player that could come back in the other direction that might make some sense for the Penguins to try to not replace Jake Gensel. They're not going to replace Jake Gensel in any trade that they make. But if you get a player that's a little bit younger, that provides some offense, that could be a middle six to top six type player, I think it'd be interesting if they went out and they included Connor Garland in any potential deal. Mm -hmm. That helps with the money in, money out situation. Connor Garland has just under $5 million. That gives the Penguins a 27-year-old player with some high offensive upside that is under cap control for the next three years. So I, I think that that could potentially be something that intrigues me going forward. He's obviously been tied to the Penguins a couple times in the past couple of years, especially because the Canucks and the Penguins seem to always be linked when it comes to trade discussions. So I think that's the 
That's the most intriguing to me, that or Vegas. I don't know who Vegas would be willing to part with, especially for a one-year rental. But, you know, I liked what I saw from Brendan Brisson when they played. So maybe you include him. Maybe he comes and visits his old babysitter and, and joins the Penguins organization with Sidney Crosby. But I think the Vancouver Canucks, to me, is the most intriguing and the best fit for the Penguins as far as who they could trade and get back with the five of these teams. Mm-hmm. When you were listing former, uh, listening former Penguins on the Canucks, by the way, you missed a big one. Uh, and his name is Philip J. Kessel. I don't know if that's his middle name. Oh, that's uh, right. But Phil Kessel is working out in Abbotsford. His spot on the Vancouver Canucks is not guaranteed, but it is, uh, it's a it's a process and it's a possibility that there is another former Penguin on that team. What's his middle name? If you say it starts with a J. It starts with a J. Uh, I'm so good. <laughs> Philip, Philip Joseph Kessel. Oh, we share a middle name. Love to see it. Philip Joseph Kessel Jr., by the way, also. Ah, that's where I think I got the J from. But that's, anyway. his gover- that's his government name. At least, uh, docs don't like that. I see. I hope that you know. I hope that when he joins the Canucks, he does Kessel Jr. Finally, I don't know. I think that'd be interesting to see on a jersey. Uh, but no, at the end of the day, you think Kings. I'm thinking Canucks here. And at the end of the day, any trade that gets the Penguins in the framework that we've talked about, which is probably a first round pick, a top prospect, and also an NHL talent to come and play. Obviously, money in, money out with that game because Gensel still has six million on this year's cap hit. But I think when I'm looking at these five, the one I want to see him go to, if we take out the the, the return and we take everything else out, I'd like to see him go to the Colorado Avalanche because I'd like to see him play with with Nathan McKinnon. I think that would be intriguing, and also because of these teams, I'd kind of like I'd like to see the Colorado Avalanche win more than the other four. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, I think Vancouver would be interesting, uh, but that trend of no Canadian teams winning the Cup in a long time has to continue. I'm sorry. It's just, it's goofy, it's funny, and it drives Canada nuts. It's been over 30 years now, 1993. Yes. It was either the year before or after the Penguins back-to-backs, the first ones. I believe it's after, though, so yes. It's after. Yeah, I think the Montreal Canadiens won after it, and the Penguins probably should have won that year, but, you know. Damn Oilers. Islanders. Yes. Orange and blue. I'm tired. <laughs> it's been it's been a good episode. I had to fall yes. apart at some point. Hey, fair enough. You made it 50 minutes. I commend you for that one. We've talked a lot about a lot going on. You had a very hectic day yesterday on the internet and otherwise. So uh, I think I think we'll we'll leave it at that. The the Penguins obviously have a lot to discuss over the next two weeks. There should be a lot of news that comes out about their direction. We'll see what Kyle Dubas decides to do. Not hard fast. Not steadfast on selling. Not steadfast on buying yesterday at the press conference, so we'll have to wait and see. I think it's going to be interesting where the Penguins go from here and, and what they put on the ice the last 20-some games of the season after the trade deadline. But obviously, still games to go until then. Pens take on the Montreal Canadiens tonight. Speaking of the last team from Canada to win a Stanley Cup, they face off tonight at PPG Paints Arena, and then obviously a matchup on Sunday afternoon with the Philadelphia Flyers. Two big games for the Penguins before they head west, and we have to get the coffee brewing for 10 o'clock starts. But that's going to do it for this episode. I loved your reaction to that. Always. for the Of the ice Tip of the Iceberg podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time. 